This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Stephen Mercer, and I'm back today to have a conversation with um, someone who knows a lot about what's going on on college campuses right now. And I'm really grateful to have uh, Dr. Matthew Ward, who's the Vice President of Enrollment Management at California Lutheran University in Thousand Oaks, California, who knows a lot about college admission, has been at this a long time, and thinks about this a lot and thinks about how colleges are going to treat this pandemic, but also thinking about students and families. So, Matthew, thank you for being here today. I'm really grateful. Uh, Happy to be here, Stephen. Thank you. So could you briefly just describe the California Lutheran campus? Just give us a sense of, you know, where is it and what's it like and how large and the type of institution it is. And then also briefly, I mean, these may be some obvious things. Just tell us, how is campus responding to this pandemic generally? Sure. So we're located in Thousand Oaks, California, as you mentioned. We're about halfway between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles, 12 miles inland as the crow flies from, uh, from Malibu. And we have about 4,300 students, 3,000 of whom are uh, undergraduates. Uh, we have a traditional undergraduate liberal arts program, as well as uh, a few graduate programs uh, located in the School of Management, Graduate School of Psychology, uh, Graduate School of Education. And we also have a seminary up in Berkeley, California. In terms of response to the crisis, uh, this could be a long-winded response. It's um, uh, it, it's certainly disrupting all of higher ed, and that's one thing that um, is notable because Cal Lutheran has been impacted by a number of things over the last couple of years, um, including some fires proximal to campus. So our leadership team has been in emer- we feel like we've been in constant emergency mode for the last two years. And um, we are meeting regularly. And I would think I'd say the one thing to characterize uh, the climate on campus is one of uncertainty. Hmm. And I think the uncertainty and kind of the ambiguity of where we're headed as it relates to fall is disconcerting to so many people. So from the college side, certainly, as we model different kinds of scenarios, both uh, financially and um, and culturally and socially, that's one one consideration. But in in terms of your audience and families thinking about what decisions they're going to make, we're trying to get some insights into that as well. Hmm. And so many people want a definitive answer about what fall is going to look like. And I would say that with the schools who have made statements about what fall is going to look like. They're all still um, they all lack definition in terms of what unless they're saying that they're going to be virtual. I think that that there's there's really been no definitive answer yet. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to see, you know, as I watch the news and as I keep my eye on my my various uh, news feeds of professionals and other college admission folks to see how few Campuses are coming out with anything that sounds definitive, but also it's surprising me that schools are coming out to say almost anything at this. I mean, I know that you can't be silent, but to somehow suggest that you you would know 
what what's going to happen several months from now, given the volatility of this kind of disaster that we're facing seems um, challenging. But maybe from a leadership perspective, it makes sense. Well, part of it's trying to understand the psychology of decision making. And it's un, we're in unprecedented times right now. So what I have where, where we landed um, this last weekend, actually, we had a, a, a message go out from our president was one of aspiration and, and inclination to try to do the best we can to return to some sort of live format in the fall. Hmm. You know, we had uh, so much pressure coming from admission vis-a-vis parents and families asking, what is this going to look like? I'm basing my decision on whether you're going to have intercollegiate athletics and extracurricular opportunities and all the things that we value right. your education environment. So we, um, like a lot of institutions, felt like it was important for people to hear from us to say, we're doing planning and we're doing, and we're planning for many different kinds of scenarios because it is our intention uh, to be live in some way in the fall, keeping in mind that county health officials may say you can't do that. So let's think a little bit about this incoming class, right? As an enrollment manager, you've got some real clear goals and in some ways pressure, right? To enroll a certain number of students uh, coming up and also the long-term kind of uh, reputation of your school. And there's lots of, lots of moving parts to this. So right now, you know, families and students are admitted and are making their decisions about where they're going. How's that going for you at your institution? But broadly, what do you know about how other enrollment managers are thinking about this, the challenges, the, the good and the bad? Sure. So all the models have been totally dismantled, right? So we do a lot of data crunching to figure out how many students we should admit, how much financial aid we should offer uh, to meet certain kinds of enrollment objectives. And most institutions have objectives around a certain kind of headcount, you know, quality concerns in terms of uh, the academic performance of students coming in, uh, trying to create uh, diversity in the student body in various forms, socioeconomic, geographic, et cetera. And all the modeling around how different students will respond to our admission offers, our financial aid offers are totally um, hmm. being turned upside down. And so uh, we, we have to do a lot in real-time assessment and analytics around how students are engaged. And what what I've noticed is with our early applicants, our early application pool, they have stayed really engaged with us. Now we moved our deposit deadline to June 1st. Right. Um, so uh, a lot of the institutions with whom I interact um, kept their May 1 deadline. So I actually have some intelligence around how things have worked for other uh, selective private institutions in Southern California. And there's certainly been a softening uh, a softening in, in the number of students willing to commit or submit an enrollment deposit. Um, we've seen lots of data around students who have submitted an enrollment deposit or committed to an institution, but have declared that they are going to um, wait and see or withdraw. Uh, we're um, unfortunately seeing lots of students that are depositing at multiple institutions, which uh, is, is something that makes it really challenging to, to, um, to engage your, your incoming class. Right. As we head to June 1st, one of the things that we're really focused on 
is the fact that many students in our backyard or locally are probably going to be more inclined um, to stay closer to home. So right. we're actually um, using that as a, a marketing opportunity and an outreach opportunity to really engage those audiences in in the Ventura County and, and LA County regions where um, they may have chosen at one point to go away to school, but now now, now those decision uh, making now that decision making has changed. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I'll say about the this class, they've been engaged with the institution for a long time. You know, we um, had lots of students being recruited by uh, faculty and coaches. And this disruption you know, certainly is changing their decision-making process. But I think it's also important for us to focus in on those students who would enter in 2021 right. because their typical spring break visits to schools, their anticipated activities um, and open houses that they might go to or interviews that they might do in the fall, those are likely disrupted. Um, and they don't have the same kind of relationship that this entering class of 2020 does. Right. And that's what I'm hearing a lot of. Um, a lot of concern with the students and families that I'm working with who are high school juniors or younger, right? The disruption to testing and visiting and they don't know what to do and they appreciate the outreach, but they're still not certain. But before we, I wanted to talk about that, that those, those lower classes, but I want to talk a little bit more about this incoming class right now. You know, are you noticing students already going ahead and, and requesting gap years or is it just a, a kind of a mixed in with what you are seeing with maybe multiple deposits or um, just hesitating? It's mixed in for sure. The, 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 the two big requests or what, what we're seeing getting the, the most traction, not only at Cal Lutheran, but in my interactions with other enrollment professionals at other institutions gap year and will you change your price or offer more financial aid if you are virtual? Yeah. Right. I, I didn't pay to go to uh, a small liberal arts college um, that's virtual. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm either going to, it, it, so that, so that question is out there and I think it's also tied to, I will make another choice. I will go to a community college or I will take a gap year. Um, so uh, their institutions have, um, offer different kinds of policies around when they need to declare if they're going to 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 do a gap year. And for us, we're still tracking towards June one and have a lot of decisions to make regarding those commitments students uh, make at, at that deadline and, and and how we would do deferment if they want to defer an enrollment for for a year. Okay, okay, so that hasn't hit yet because you're waiting for that June one deadline to come to see where you're at. So also on the incoming class, I mean, one of the biggest concerns I hear is money, right? Costs, families who applied for financial aid uh, successfully before, but things have changed or families that did not apply. And also they believe things have changed. So, you know, generally, how are you, how are you treating that? But what's your advice generally for families that are worried and which is practically everybody, right? Right. Um, institutions like mine, I'll just give some insights like, um, in the, into the financial model uh, around housing, and it, you can you can read different articles that have come out about institutions um, that the impact of moving students off campus just in this short time on institutional finances, which was significant. To move um, our 
1,450 students off campus in March was a little bit over $4 million in lost revenue to the institution because we wow. refunded that money to, to students. If we have to um, socially distance in a way uh, in the fall that requires us to give every student their own room mm-hmm. or every student their own bathroom, I mean, if we gave every student their own bathroom, we would have about 330 students on our campus. And that would be um, over $10 million in, in revenue lost to the institution. Mm-hmm. So these, so, so these are, are important considerations as we think about um, what it means to en- enroll students and to kind of protect our, our, to play defense a bit. So to get back to the point, pr- playing defense also kind of creates a buyer's market. And I'll, I'll be, be, be frank about that, that, that I think families that are um, looking at merit money that was offered by an institution might be able to go back and, 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 and ask for more. Uh, right. And, you know, certainly there are, you know, when you look at the unemployment numbers and, and the disruption to people's work environments, there are, are, are certainly cases out there where um, families are going to be able to appeal for more aid. And institutions are are changing policies to accommodate um, those those kinds of of changes in in uh, income. Yeah. You know, for for us, for instance, uh, we have a policy to um, have a family demonstrate uh, loss of income over the course of three months before we would consider it uh, as in an appeal. We're going to. Um, uh, sideline that policy for a short time while um, families are facing immediate disruption. So we can um, effectively um, offer um, aid if, if families need it. Okay. Because with a lot of the families that I've worked with over the many years, the notion of negotiating aid, you know, as we, as they, the seniors get to this stage, right, when they're making their decisions has always been on the table, but it's always been a little, families, I think, have been a little hesitant because, they don't see, they don't always see applying to college as the same thing as, you know, purchasing um, a car or, you know, other, other situations where you might traditionally negotiate a price. And I I'm hearing more and more families come and ask me, can we call the college? Can we negotiate? You're saying, yeah, I mean, we always can, but I, I think your insight is a smart one, right? That no guarantees, but yeah, I've been I've been in in this business for for a long time, and 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 things have changed. Um, and yeah, there there there's certainly a, a a hierarchy of schools based on reputation and prestige, and and um, a certain demand curve that uh, runs through this, where certain institutions are going to be more more likely to offer more more institutional aid than others. Right. You know, Cal Lutheran is what I would offer is kind of a middle market institution. You know, mm-hmm. we, we are selective in our admission and financial aid um, policies. But at the same time, you know, w- when we face this kind of crisis situation, um, I think that we want to make sure we're, we're protecting enrollment and you know, certainly seeing that there is a softening. I, I know that um, lots of institutions have gone to uh, the wait list. Um, I've, right. I've learned, um, you know, of several institutions that have had a significant increase, 
um, in their admit rate. And even as you look at the most elite institutions in, the, in this country, they've all, all reported that they have admitted more students. And that's a signal to the marketplace. And, you know, while we don't like to use uh, terms like marketplace when we talk about higher ed, and you, you pointed to kind of like the the car dealership model, but right. there there is a, a supply and demand element to yep. this, and and for families that are, um, you know, thinking, well, I, I don't necessarily uh, want to to make that kind of investment, um, considering all the uncertainty. I think that that they have they have more opportunity in this environment than they typically would. Okay, so let's briefly go back to this, cl- the classes below the seniors. You know, you mentioned this next wave of applicants who don't have the same relationship, I think you said, engagement with your institution, probably other institutions. You know, as an enrollment manager, how worried are you about that? Is that something that you think can be overcome in in a modest amount of time? Again, we're at a pendulum swing right now where, you know, we're we're in stay-at-home orders and things are just loosening up, but still more or less shut down. And this is a short-term problem and though that it will get back to kind of building those relationships with the incoming class pretty quickly, or do you see this as a longer term issue, either a, not necessarily that we're going to stay in the situation that we're in, but that this disruption has been so um, shocking to this system that, that you cons- have larger concerns? Sure. There's a couple of angles on, on this one. Uh, you know, for us being in the state of California, you know, we have the, the, the largest, most prestigious public um, higher ed system in, in the world with UC and certainly CSU. The largesse of those systems and what they do plays a big role uh, with um, what kinds of uh, decisions students make. And so if, for instance, CSU uh, makes the decision to go uh, virtual over a long period of time, that's actually that actually could be an advantage for an mm-hmm. institution like mine in, in, in talking to students who are seeking a more personalized experience or perhaps an institution that's able to be live earlier than um, larger public institutions. Um, I think in terms of the traditional process of developing a relationship with the institution, which is embedded in a network of people, right? Mm-hmm. So I think about um, a conversation I had the other day with our volleyball coach who had to cancel a number of recruitment visits where, you know, she would go to a tournament in Colorado and and get to know student athletes. And those student athletes are um, 15, 16 years old. And so they, they start developing that network. They develop uh, a connection to the admission office um, as they go out and travel and, and interview students and get and engage them. So I think to a certain extent, uh, the juniors and sophomores are are um, kind of the, the the sleeping problem right now. That that mm. for enrollment managers, that we need to make sure um, that uh, we're able to kind of keep that that relationship alive and and moving um, towards fall twenty twenty one because that could actually be a, a bigger problem than than this year um, if, for instance, we have to be forced into a virtual mode. Let's say in the middle of the year. Um, and the application process is uh, disrupted, you know, that that's going to um, create kind of a scrambling kind of environment for admission offices and financial aid offices. So from your perspective, it's a matter of just looking forward and just thinking, thinking about that and tr- trying to do what you can to look for the opportunities to stay in touch and build those networks and relationships. 
to consider all the all the different creative avenues that, that we can come up with to to stay in touch with students. I think there's a lot of people who are of the mind that college that, that this is going to reshape college in many different ways and that we are going to be so much more equipped to engage people digitally. I mean when we think about big football, you know, big time football, which is a is a as you know, a factor when students are considering colleges. Well, they we, we might not have um, stadiums full of people for a year, two right. years. What mm-hmm. what what does that do in terms of how institutions reshape what they offer and their value proposition? I don't think schools like mine and and uh, uh, liberal arts colleges that have a tradition of small classes and um, connect connectivity that is based on human interaction in in a space are going to all of a sudden be online institutions. But we're certainly learning some lessons. And we also are dealing with a generation of students uh, who are digital natives, and they are more equipped than our faculty are in navigating this environment. And uh, perhaps it is accelerating um, our um, advances pedagogically and and the ways that that we engage students. So I'll go back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation. The uncertainty is what uh, is creating the most anxiety on, on both sides of the equation, those that are looking at colleges and considering colleges and, and what the colleges do to respond to the changing um, decision-making models that families have relied upon uh, for decades. So Dr. Matthew Ward from Cal Lutheran University, thanks so much for joining us. This has been fascinating. It's really great to hear your perspective um, and I'm, I'm grateful for your time. Uh, It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Dr. Mercer. And I wish you well in your professional endeavors and certainly with all the families you work with. Thanks.